turn in it to Philippians chapter 4. Our focus this morning is going to be on a pretty well-known verse amongst believers, verses 5 to 7. Let me give some background for why I chose this passage for today. I mark the day that I became a Christian as the Sunday after Thanksgiving in 1980. <clears throat> and so in honor of God's mercy to me, I wanted to preach a text that has been significant to me over these 43 years, and I know has been to many other believers. It's frequently mem memorized, and as well it should be, because it deals with something that's very common to all of us, which is worry or anxiety. I don't think I've ever preached on it, though, even though this has been an important text for me. So it seems like now is the time, and it does relate to Thanksgiving somewhat. So we'll see that connection as we go. So let's jump right into it. We're going to read Philippians 4, 1 through 7 to get some context, and our focus will be on 5 to 7. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father, we thank you for providing your word to guide us in all of our ways. We are not left on our own to figure out how to do life. You have shown us the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ, our Savior. But we are easily distracted from that way and from that hope. And so we ask you again this morning by your Spirit, to open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you with readiness to apply and also knowing your grace, which is sufficient for us in all things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Do you worry about anything? Can you relate in your own life to this definition of anxiety? Anxiety is an emotion characterized by an unpleasant state of inner turmoil and dread over anticipated events. It is a feeling of uneasiness, usually generalized and unfocused. Does that resonate with you? <clears throat> what kind of situations in your life cause a state of inner turmoil and uneasiness that dogs you? Well, not to trigger your anxiety again, but I think we can list some of the usual suspects. 
We may worry about how we're going to get everything done that's on our plate. May worry about how our kids are going to turn out. May worry about our health, our finances, our grades. If you're in school, we may worry about our culture, about our world, about our future as Christians in an anti-Christian age. Anxiety is a common response to all of those things. <clears throat> but here is good news for you and me. The worry is a common response. It is not an inevitable response. You can face the exact things in your life that you are worried about right now without worrying about it. That is possible. We know it's possible because we have a command here, an exhortation, to do not be anxious about anything. And then we have instructions on how we can actually counteract the worry that we're prone to. And to, so the result is what Paul calls the peace of God, which will guard your hearts and your minds if you pursue this. So there's hope for us. There's hope for the worriers, no matter what it is that you worry about. The Lord holds out that promise for us that we can experience his peace. Worry is not inevitable. There is a way to peace. So to find out what it is, let's first start with the context of the letter. The church in Philippi is one that Paul planted after he had seen the Macedonian vision saying, come over here and help us. Philippi was a leading city in the area of Macedonia. It was a Roman colony, so it was a big, important city, and it had every temptation that a big city has. Um, it was also run by the Roman Empire, and so it was a place where pagan religion was the norm. It was not an environment that was supportive for the small band of Christians that had gotten started there in the church. This is a place where Paul was put in prison when he cast out a demon from a slave girl who was making money for her owners by fortune-telling. That's how the church got started, with Paul being thrown in prison. This is a city where as Paul says in chapter 3, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ with minds set on earthly things. There is even disunity in the church itself. You have these two ladies, co-laborers in the gospel, zealous for truth, and they don't get along. Iodia <clears throat> and Syntyche. So you might say, I think, that the Philippian church lived in much the same environment that we have today in any given city in the U.S., certainly here in Denver metro area. The trials and temptations were the same. They had the same kind of things to worry about. They had to raise kids in this city. They had to get jobs. They wondered about their future. And so they had things to worry about, but Paul says, stand firm in the Lord. There's a way to stand firm, and part of that way is going to be what I'm going to tell you about being anxious. There's a way not to be anxious about all the things that are facing you. So let's look at his instructions and apply them to our lives. And the first one is the beginning of verse 6, where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. This is what not to do. <laughs> do not be anxious. 
Don't be anxious about your task list or your kids or your finances or your health or your grades or whether you'll be put in prison for living out your faith like Paul. In fact, don't worry about anything. Now, I think we have to admit that doesn't sound very realistic, does it? <laughs> On first blush. <laughs> How can you not worry about anything? I mean, for some of us, like worry is part of the flow of life. Like It's just there. That unfocused and generalized thing that just permeates your, your brain. That's how, how familiar we are with it. And somebody says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious. It's like, are you kidding me? Do you live in this world? Um, and yet, uh, he has this unqualified command. Do not be anxious about anything. Even if you can't pay your bills, even if one of your children walks away from the Lord, if you get a diagnosis of a serious illness, this still covers that. There's a way not to be anxious. Well, we're going to need to hear more on this because an exhortation like that needs some serious reasons for why we can shut down our anxiety. It can't be merely a resolve to don't worry, be happy. <clears throat> Some of you might remember, that was like 25, 30 years ago, there was a song by that title, Don't Worry, Be Happy. It's a fun song. It won a Grammy. I mean, it's the kind of song you want in the background at a restaurant or something because uh, it's jumpy and it's bouncy and it's, it's reggae. But the, the, the whole point is don't worry, be happy. But they never give any reasons for why you should do that except, well, when you frown, it'll bring everybody down. And don't worry, this won't last very long. But like, we need something more than that for the things that face us. We got to have some foundation that I can say, okay, I see why I don't have to worry. And verse 5 is actually what gives us the foundation. The second half says, the Lord is at hand. That's the ground for the exhortation, do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything. Some Bibles have a new sentence starting in verse 6, so it separates the Lord is at hand and then new thought, do not be anxious. But actually, the ESV puts them together, which makes sense. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. That's the connection. <clears throat> this was written to believers in Jesus Christ as a reminder of what Jesus said when he ascended to heaven. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is at hand by his Spirit, always and to the end of the age. All day long and all life long, Jesus is with you. He is at hand because he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and he sent his spirit. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And that's how he's come to us, through the, the Holy Spirit dwelling within every believer. He is at hand. Amen. And because he is at hand, you don't need to worry. Now, why not? How does his presence make a difference? Well, it's because the one who is at hand is the Son of God who conquered sin and death and the devil. The one who is near 
and is in your situation, has all authority in heaven and on earth to, to do anything that is necessary for your ultimate thriving and your joy. The one who is with you upholds the universe by the word of his power, according to Hebrews 1. That's how much power he has. He is keeping everything going, everything that exists, everything that the James Webb Space Telescope is seeing is being upheld by the one who is with you. And if that isn't enough, the one who is with you loves you and died for your sins to give you a future and a hope. And he won't forsake you in whatever it is that you're worried about. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God has already done the hardest thing imaginable, to have his own son crucified in your place and for your sin, then whatever thing you're worried about right now is a smaller thing for God to take care of. And he will take care of it in the way that's needed. It may not be what you were hoping for, but it will be what God's wisdom and love has ordained for you. And it will make sense when you're on the other side in glory. That knowledge surely should bring down our anxiety a few notches. <laughs> if I could compare it to a few real-life situations. Some of us have moved recently. Just imagine you're moving and you've got no helpers. It's you and your mountain of furniture and boxes to transport to the other side of town. How would you feel if you're doing that alone? But then all of a sudden a football team shows up <laughs> and they're like, we'll take it. And you'd be like, relieved. Like, yes, because you thought you were alone. And then all of a sudden you had all this help. Jesus being with you is better than that. Or a personal illustration for me, it's like having a native Spanish speaker with us on a team going to Rancho 3M when we cross the border, which we've only had one time in 10 years of doing this. <laughs> but like when I go down there, I'm always obsessed. I got to talk to the border guard. I don't know Spanish and this is going to go badly. And so, like, last year we had the Spanish speaker. And I'm like, yeah, relax. <laughs> she can do it. <laughs> That's how we should feel, knowing that the Lord is at hand. He, he can do anything. He's got you. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus, to have him at hand is the best-case scenario for whatever faces you, but we worry when we think he is not at hand or if we think he's just not going to be involved. Uh, so here's another definition of worry. Worry is anticipating a future without God. It's reckoning the situation only from the perspective of your limited resources versus the problem in front of you. And the fact is, your resources of knowing what to do and knowing how to do it are going to fall short. And we know that, we sense that, which is why we worry. We don't know that we can manage this. But when we're thinking that way, we're just thinking of a future without God. It's just me. I'm the one who has to do it. 
And so it creates this worry. But the reality is we, are, we have no control over most things. You and I have no control over whether or not the wars in the Middle East and Ukraine will spill out into a global conflict. You can't do a thing about that. You and I don't have any control over whether the economy collapses. We can't predict what's going to happen in the next five minutes, much less the next five years. You can't control every decision that other people make. We actually have very little control over anything, and so we worry because we don't feel like we have control. But then again, that's just pointing back to us. We don't actually think the Lord is near and that he's going to be involved. Worry is anticipating a future without God. But here's the good news. Someone <laughs> who actually does have control over all things is at hand. The Lord has control over all things. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. The reason you go do it is because I have authority, and you go underneath my authority, and my purposes are going to be accomplished. They can't not be accomplished, so just get in the flow of it, because it's going to happen. My kingdom is going to come. I have authority. That's what the Lord says. And that's a truth that's independent of all of your circumstances. It doesn't depend on who gets elected this next year. It doesn't depend on who's in charge of Amazon or any, or any of these places. It, it is just true. He is in authority. He is in control. And he is at hand. And he is for you. That's how we push away anxiety. That's the foundational reason we don't have to be anxious about anything. But Paul doesn't leave us there. He says there's something that we can do. So we know what not to do, don't worry, but what to do. Here's what we do. This is also in verse 6. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Let me read all of verse 6 again so you can see the full train of thought. Do not be anxious about anything, but... In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So don't be anxious. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. Pray in everything. Let your requests be made known by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That makes total sense, given the reality that the Lord is at hand. The way to actively fight off worry is by remembering the all-powerful, loving Savior is at hand, and he wants you to talk to him about it. He invites you into the conversation with him. Okay, tell me what's going on. Come to me. He invites us to do that. That's how we fight off our worry. We talk to him. We talk to our all-powerful Savior. It's to make known to him our requests what we want him to do in the situation. And Paul uses two words to describe how we bring those requests. He uses the word prayer and supplication. Those two words just differ in emphasis. Prayer emphasizes the devotion to God. It's an act of going to him in faith that he hears and that he's for us. And the emphasis of supplication is on our personal need. We bring our petitions. We're weak. We need his help in specific ways. It's like the blind beggar on the side of the Lord. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, Lord, let me recover my sight. That's a specific petition, a need, 
I, and I have to go to you for it. So we're encouraged, we're exhorted to let our requests be made known to God. And the beautiful thing about this is this isn't just Paul's advice to us. This is God's very word. God is inviting us to make known our request to him. We have the green light to go to him and say, I need this, I need that. Uh, it might feel selfish in the moment, and sometimes it is selfish, but he says, bring it to me. This is the right place to go. I'm inviting you. You have a green light. Now, there's a lot to learn from this exhortation, so let's tease out some of the insights that are here. Uh, first of all, this command to pray reminds us that prayer is not the, thir- the first thing that naturally comes to mind when we're worried because we have to be told to do it. <laughs> Don't be anxious about anything, but pray. He has to tell us to do that because we can get stuck on the worry part and not ever get to the praying part. Because somehow it feels like we're doing something when we're worrying, right? Like we're turning over the thing in our mind. We're, we're trying to figure out a way forward. And that feels like progress, like we're on top of it. But really all it ever does is wear us down. It weighs us down. And we don't get anywhere with that. But we can get stuck there. And the Lord says, get out of that downward spiral and look to me and talk to me about this thing. And that can become a new habit in your life. And he wants that to become our habit. Some of you older saints, you're in that habit. (laughs) Because you've been through enough things where you realize if, if the Lord doesn't show up, this isn't going down very well. Like, we know we need him. And it becomes instinctive, like, that's what I got to do. I got to get on my knees. I got to go to the Lord. That's the habit that he wants to develop in us because he wants us to experience that assurance that he's there, that he cares, that he's going to be involved. <clears throat> so that's the first observation. It's not an automatic thing that we pray. We have to intentionally do it. Also, second observation, we're told to let our requests be made known to God. That's an interesting way of writing it because doesn't God already know what we need and what we want? Yes, he does. In Psalm 139, David says to the Lord, you have searched me and known me. You discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So God already knows that you want your kids to do well, to know and love the Lord. He knows you want to pay your bills and regain your health and avoid war and, and live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, as in 1 Timothy 2.2. So why do you need to let your request be made known to God? if he already knows what your requests are. He knows your thoughts. Why pray? Well, I like what the old commentator Matthew Henry said about this. I'm just going to condense it a little bit. He put it this way. It's not that God needs to be told either our wants or desires, for he knows them better than we can tell him. But he will know them from us and have us express our value of our dependence on him. In other words, you're not requesting anything that's a surprise to God. But God wants the interaction of your praying 
before he acts on many things. Some things he'll act without it. But he wants the interaction. Or to say it this way, God doesn't function like the auto deposit into your checking account where it just kind of arrives every month or every two weeks without you doing anything. God doesn't operate that way with his children because there's no relationship in an auto deposit where you just get stuff because he knows you need it. When the Lord saves us, he saves us into a relationship with God. Jesus purchased not only what you need for life and godliness, but also the privilege of praying for those things, of talking to your heavenly Father and asking, give us this day our daily bread. How cool is it that God wants to hear our voice, that he bids us come and let our requests be made known to him, that there's no shame in asking. Actually, it honors the Lord because it shows that we do depend on him. We value him. We recognize we need him. And that honors him, that we come to him with our prayers. Prayer is how we honor him as our wise, good father who will do what's best for us when we ask. And you parents know what that's like with little kids. They come to you with all sorts of requests. Can I bring this bug into the house? No. <laughs> Can I have a rifle for Christmas? Why don't you ask me that when you're older? Can we go to the zoo this weekend? Let's wait till it warms up. You know, they come to you with all these requests. They keep bringing them to you. A lot of times you'll have to say no, but it still honors you that they bring those requests because it shows they know they need you to decide for them. It's only if they stop asking you that you worry, what's wrong? What's happened to our relationship that you don't come to me anymore? God invites us to relationship. He says, I am your father. We learned in Galatians that in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So, so he says, treat me as your father, a good father who never errs, and who has all the resources that you could ever need, and all the wisdom to know what you need when you need it. He's inviting us into that. That's why we make known. We're invited to make known our requests, even though he knows beforehand. Here's the third observation. We can't miss the important qualifier that Paul puts in there. He says, let your requests be made known to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving with thanksgiving and this is the tie-in to the thanksgiving holiday we celebrated part of putting away our worry is by actively calling to mind what god has done for us already and what he has promised he will do it's the discipline of giving thanks to god for his faithfulness in our lives that's essential to putting away our anxiety now, this is something that's also not natural to us. At least it isn't natural to me. It's easy to just bring a bunch of requests to God and be done. You know, Lord, please do this, that, and the other thing. Amen. And then you just kind of do that over and over and over again. Um, and it just kind of goes like that. You're praying, but what's missing is taking any time to thank God for the previous answers to prayer 
or his unexpected providence that, that's gone your way or the daily provisions that you've enjoyed or even the trials that have refined you and improved you. Prayer that is all requests and no thanksgiving doesn't instill confidence that God is for you. You just like speaking into the air and you don't remember anything that happened after that. What you asked for, what God did. And so you're always just speaking into the air hoping something happens. But, you, but you've forgotten what did happen, what is happening, what's been promised to happen. And those are the things that give you the, the awareness that God is actually for me. So that when I'm talking to him, I can have expectation that he knows what I need and he'll do the right thing. But when we don't thank him, when we don't take the time to remember, then he just becomes air. <laughs> we don't know what he's going to do. It's a discipline to remember the gracious and merciful works of God. This is something I need to work on, and Mary tried to help me with it one time, probably more than one time. But I remember one time. <laughs> she gave me a thankfulness journal, which had space for five years of writing like one paragraph every day of something that you thank God for. <clears throat> so I thought, okay, I'll give this a try. I think I got 10 entries in there, and I stopped. And I never, put, I never picked it back up again. And I had five empty years worth. <laughs> And it just, maybe it wasn't the right tool for me. I mean, not everybody writes things down. But it definitely brought my awareness that this is an issue for me. I have to be intentional to remember what God has done and give thanks for it. If I don't, I'm just going to keep speaking into the air and I'm going to keep worrying and I'm not going to expect God to do anything. So that was eye-opening. <clears throat> Bottom line, if you don't want to be anxious about anything, you need to make giving thanks to God a regular part of your life. Because it reminds us that he cares, you can come to him and expect that he will accomplish what concerns you and it will be the right thing. And we know that what the most important thing that he has done, don't we? No matter what is going on in your life or what will go on in your life, here's something you can always thank God for. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And if you put your trust in Christ, you have eternal life. And God so loved you that he sent his son for you. And that's something we can thank him for every day. And that's the crucial thing to thank him for because it made all the difference between life and death. It made it, made it possible for you to have an eternity of glory. And that's waiting for you, no matter what's in front of you today. <clears throat> so to sum up, how, how do you fight off worry and anxiety about whatever's going on in your life? This is what we do. Pray about everything with thanksgiving in the awareness that the Lord is at hand. That's how we do it. That's our activity. Again, Matthew Henry put it very succinctly. When anything burdens our spirits... We must ease our minds by prayer. <laughs> Amen. I should add here, prayer isn't the only thing we will do. After we pray, God uses our actions oftentimes to bring about answers to prayer. So for example, we are in the book of Nehemiah, 
and the workers were building the wall to protect the city. And it said, they prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So they prayed for protection, and then they built a wall for protection. <laughs> so oftentimes you pray, and there's still something to do. Prayer is not what we do instead of action. Prayer is what we do before taking action. And it has to be before taking action, otherwise we'll put our hopes in our actions. The first thing we do is pray so that our trust is in God and not in the actions we now take. So first we cast all our anxieties on the Lord, knowing that he cares for us, 1 Peter 5.7. Then we act without the stress of relying on what we're doing next and whether it's going to work. Because our hope is in the Lord. And that brings us to the last point which is the promise of peace to those who heed these exhortations. The promise in verse 7 is that peace will replace your anxiety. Uh, it says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now I have to say, though I've known this verse for about 40 years, something finally clicked for the first time when I was studying this about what it means that the, the peace of God surpasses all understanding. So let's walk through it, because I think this is so helpful. First of all, the peace of God is a result of this kind of thanksgiving-infused praying about everything. The peace of God is your mind eased of anxiety. It's a quietness in your soul, no longer anxiously looking about you, grasping for some evidence that things are going to be okay. The peace of God is rest, born out of trusting God, not born out of a change in your circumstances. This is the kind of peace that Jesus promised his disciples in John 14, 27. He said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. The world can only give you peace based on good circumstances. If you scored big on Black Friday deals, then you can be happy and there will be peace on earth. <clears throat> but we all know that won't last very long. No, the peace of God is the kind that doesn't depend on good worldly circumstances. It's founded on the reality that the crucified and risen and reigning Lord is near. And then it comes to us when we leave our requests at the Lord's feet, so to speak, and we trust his great love and power is fully engaged in what concerns us, so we don't need to worry because we know God is at work. This kind of peace is not available apart from Christ, but it is the privilege available to every believer. Now, getting this kind of rest for the mind is a process of growing in grace. You won't necessarily experience it overnight or consistently, but we can grow in this. No situation requires that you worry. Every situation is possible for you to experience the peace of God when you know that he's working on it. And Paul says that when you have this peace, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A guard is a military term. It's like a sentry who's keeping a city safe. He's on watch. 
looking for dangers that are coming. He's going to be there to keep those out. And in this case, the peace of God is like that sentry. It, it keeps you from being overwhelmed by the onrush of fear and worry and temptation. It, it works for you and enables you to go about your day without having to obsess about your child or your money or your culture or your future. And then here's the really cool thing that finally clicked for me. Paul said, this peace of God surpasses all understanding. Now, what does that mean? I used to assume that it meant God's peace is sort of beyond explanation, um, that you have this peace, but you don't really understand why. You, you're peaceful, even though, humanly speaking, you shouldn't be, because your problems are still there, but you're at rest. So it seems to be hard to understand from a human standpoint. That's how I assumed that it meant. But on further review, that's only about half right. Yes, you can be at peace, even though, humanly speaking, you shouldn't be. But this peace isn't beyond explanation because we know why we have it. <laughs> it's peace that comes from praying and trusting that the Lord is near and faithful. It's understandable that you have this peace. So how does the peace of God surpass all understanding? Well, surpass means it's superior. It's higher in rank than understanding. It is more to be desired than all understanding, this peace of God. So I think this is a comparison between two ways of solving your anxiety problem. One way is to turn away from your self-sufficiency, pray about your situation, remember God's faithfulness, trust that God is at work. That brings you the peace of God which guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus from anxiety. The other way is to remain in your self-sufficiency, not pray, not turn to God in dependence, and try to solve your problems in your own understanding to plan and scheme and figure out how you're going to keep your kids safe or live in Denver with all the, the rates going up or how you're going to keep from being sick. But that way will not bring you peace. It will not relieve your anxiety because it depends on your understanding, which is limited. And that's why the peace of God surpasses all understanding. It's because trusting God in prayer is far better at reducing your anxiety than trusting in your own understanding. <clears throat> and like so many things in Scripture, this is counterintuitive to us. Because in our high-tech world, where all information is available to us 24-7, we naturally think that we will get peace if we just do more research, get more understanding, and then take whatever actions seem right from there. And why do we go that route? Because we feel like if we have understanding of the situation and what to do, we have some control over it. And if we have some control, then we feel less anxious. And Paul says, guess what? peace of God is way better than that. Because that peace, by your own understanding, is not going to give you peace. <clears throat> God says, you really want to stop worrying? Trust the one who is far greater 
than the combined intelligence and data collection of the entire internet. Trust the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Trust the one who not only knows the future, but ordains the future. Because if you are in Christ, then that is the God who is working all things together for your good. If he is on your side, you don't need to obsess trying to know everything so you can save yourself. Some steps are necessary. It's good to be informed, but do not trust in your own understanding. God is our Savior, not us. So I'll close with this. The peace of God that guards your hearts and your minds is available to you this morning for the thing you're worried about right now. There's a way forward. The Lord is near. That's the foundation. Talk to God about it. Talk to the Lord about it. Bring your requests to him. He knows what to do. He's got the power to do it. Leave it there in his hands and walk away trusting. And you won't have to obsess over it. His peace will come to you when you seek him that way. He has won the victory over the world. And as a believer, your future is incredibly bright. And whatever thing is worrying you right now is momentary, light affliction. And we'll see on the other side that everything, no matter how it turns out, folded into his beautiful plan, that when you see it, you'll say, that's right. That's the way it should be. Let's trust him and let's rest in that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you invite us to have real peace, not the kind that can be bought, not the kind that comes from doing the right things in the world, having comfort. There's a peace that's solid, that's enduring. We have to to seek it. That's true. But we have good reasons to have peace. So help us. There's, There's people here. We've got worries all over the place. You know what they are. This we give them a taste of that peace as they bring their requests to you. Thank you for proving you are for us through the cross. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.